Welcome to episode three of ConsciousFounders.org. Today I interviewed Sarah Hashkis and Matt Ho of Virtual Bytes. They are a super interesting pair. Uh, Sarah has a background in neurosciences and Matt is a designer and programmer in virtual realms. They are rapid prototyping two programs every month. Uh, this is from their website. Sarah Hashkis combines her knowledge from a BS in physics and an MS in cognitive neuroscience. A lifetime dedicated to movement, martial arts, and dance, she creates VR experiences that hack the brain-body link. Your brain creates a model of reality, right? It's, and it's never connected to what really is out there. It's always guessing. So I started um, just... Uh, created this small uh, a lab within my uh, motor control department and I was doing two things. One was playing and the other was sort of the theory behind it. Eventually I got to this point where I really feel I understand the technology um, in a deep way and how it affects our brains and how we can use it to hack this system. I really had a good time talking to these two. Uh, also from their website, Matt blends his love for technology for film, dance, and art to create innovative and experimental VR experiences. I'm pretty good at like making like 3D assets and like design and like creating environments. And so I've been doing that since I was a kid. At, at my core, I'm, I'm an artist, and this is the medium that like I don't feel like there's a choice other than just to keep making. I really like things with magic. When I was young, my nerdy self like brought this like correlation between like magic being able to like throw instructions into the universe and like change your environment. And I had this like weird geeky parallel when I started learning to program and I was like, oh, whoa, you're throwing instructions into the machine and yeah. We talked about hacking the brain. We talked about uh, the current and future states of virtual reality in healthcare and the realness of a VR experience. Of course, we had to put our future goggles on and think about what the future of VR looks like at the consumer level, too. It's already starting in medical schools. Like at every good university, medical school is, is having a VR room. So you can use sort of AR, uh, your cell phone to scan a broken bone that you need a cast for, and it will be sent. You'll just see your doctor through VR, and they'll just 3D print it to you, and you know everything can be much cheaper and faster. And because doctor's time is, is super expensive. When the body when the body breaks down, there's no way out but to sit with it. Um, but there's some things that can help. What can be done in terms of like traditional medical practices, I really think that like the, the mind state can be hacked a lot, especially with VR. And a personal interest of mine is when, what, and how will these peripherals be integrated with virtual reality? Peripherals that take in uh, sensing uh, data from our environment and pull that data into the program so that the program can then intelligently use it to navigate the user's experience. I don't believe in, com in commercial EEG headsets. I come from a neuroscience background. I did EEG experiments. There, there's, it's very noisy. Very, it can be good in some very specific uh, design experiments um, that you don't move in, first of all. The moment you're moving and getting all this noise, you're basically picking up muscles. Okay, so if consumer EEGs are out, what works? Uh, things like definitely heart rate, blood pressure, uh, skin uh, conduction uh, are all very real and very interesting to, to see how you can combine it. And on to one of my favorite topics, play. Play is the natural state of learning. And when we become adults, we end up shutting down the play modules because uh, we learn to be serious. We've got bills, we've got taxes, we've got mortgages, we've got deadlines, and uh, the agency of play turns off. Well, turns out that if we can reinitiate play, we end up learning faster, being more efficient, more relaxed, and overall, I think, healthier.
This is how at least I've sort of learned to, ha to hack my own brain, even if it's just to finish something or if I have deadlines, to look at it as a game and not to, to, to keep the freedom of how. Definitely the best way for the brain to learn. We're, we are really hardwired to enjoy um, getting new information if it's through play, right? Yeah. If there isn't a total uh, end to it. Once there's a very certain um, goal for learning, then that's not play anymore. So there's a lot of agency in your brain. You have 86 billion neurons structured in a very complex network. But there is a hierarchy there. There's a very, um, you know, you can sort of look at it um, as a metaphor as a type of pyramid um, with these frontal cortex parts being the higher abstract uh, parts of our brain. Uh, and there's just separate models that are very good at whatever they do. And if this higher level part of yourself takes too much power and is a strong supervisor mm. and actually you will do work the fact that you get to move your body freely and be in different states topologically mm. speaking yeah uh, that's very powerful for the brain because this is part of again we are embodied creatures this is part of any experience that we have our body is part of it so the fact that your body can now be in many different states, it's not just, you know, one, two, three, really uh, allows for this extra freedom of your brain mm. and, and a different processing of information. Yeah, it, it really is helpful. I mean, one of our big goals is to bring play through this medium. And uh, play play is a really big part of our workflow. Like a lot of sometimes we'll talk to people and they ask like, oh, what's your workflow like? Like what's your pre-design process? And then like your, your like design scaffolding and then like your, your like iterative and we're like, oh, like so we think of an idea and then we program some and then sometimes we go to the park and dance. Ah, uh, what a relief. You got that? Play is good for you. Okay, so play helps us learn, and right now virtual reality is used for gaming, which is play. Now, what happens in a virtual world that's different than our real world? VR is so powerful and can really like affect our brains and allow us to see these really beautiful things and access this information in like cognitively in ways that like we actually haven't been able to do like ever in human history. And you can induce novelty by just changing the, the even laws of physics or the feedback that you're getting from your body a little bit that will induce, again, this novel state, turn you more into a childlike state. There is a possibility that your brain will totally receive this as reality, um, in which case it will be just like any other real experience. It's not a game anymore. It, this isn't a two-dimensional screen anymore. It is the way you act, the way you move. So it's the same body patterns, mm. um, and that's that's what we are. We are just these these patterns of activity. So the more senses you get in there, the more activated in the same way, um, you're gonna be doing that in the outside world too. All right. So VR is impacting the way that our brains function and our minds interface with reality at an individual level. So. At a cultural level, what will this do? What's What are some of the patterns that will emerge as a culture? We try to consider ourselves also an education um, collective because we want people to understand this technology is powerful. It's not the same as just video games, right? Yeah. That has some effect, but so much, much stronger. Well, that's why we try to rapid prototype like a couple demos that we can really put as much yeah. out there to help people use this as a mirror rather than like being allowing it allowing oneself to be manipulated which will be a part of yeah. vr like That's, absolutely right these abstract concepts really affect how we behave and how we think so even not using things like good and evil but just looking at it as needs as long as you manage the social aspects of that i think it can be amazing this you have to balance it with still maintaining some type of human connection interesting about humans um is how much we influence our environment, right? Mm. We're the most, this is, there's a feedback loop that's created not just with ourselves and, and trying to predict ourselves, we try to predict our environment. And part of how we do that is actually manipulating our environment and making it more predictable. I love that perspective of uh, how we influence our environment and then our environment in turn influences us in a uh, feedback loop.
Um, really, really bright people there. So I want to shift gears and talk a little bit about um, how this technology is going to globalize. So just as the mobile phone explosion went from super expensive hardware that you had to drive around in your car with, now cell phones are deployed on the order of billions across the globe. So we're talking 25 years ago, uh, you had to have this 7,500 pound cellular transceiver in the trunk of your car uh, to now uh, it's like Dick Tracy style in a watch. Literally the Apple watch is cellular capable. And you have even the most remote villages of Africa um, these using these uh, cell phones. And these are people who can't read, but they're using their phones for banking, for business, and for value exchange. Well, I'd say today virtual reality is at the driving around in your car stage of the early 90s. So you've got these big headsets tethered to a computer to get a decent experience. And yet hardware is still doubling its speed and halving its size exponentially every year. If you're a techie like me, you probably heard about Moore's Law where uh, the founder of Intel predicted semiconductors would double in speed and reduce in size every year at an exponential compounding rate. Well, if you're not a techie geek, uh, welcome to my techie geekdom realm. Anyhow, guess is we'll have the first iPhone version of this technology where you can have a real computer in your eyeglasses, I'd say the next five to seven years. It will replace cell phones. So can you imagine leaving your house without your cell phone? Life without a cell phone? What does that mean to the future of our culture where you can walk down the street and augment your reality to be what you want it to be? Every person will be able to control the environment in a very, very large degree. Um, and I guess the challenge for humanity will be to step away from that overly controlled bubble. I have a friend who loves rainbows. She could just go around all day in this rainbow world and that's it. That's what she will experience. That, that will be her sense of reality. We have to find ways for people to still connect to each other's realities. So very well said. We have to find ways to connect with each other's realities. And uh, I've already experienced this growing up in my generation where I had the first uh, personal computer before um, my time as an adolescent, computers weren't personal. They were big machines in rooms. And uh, along came the Apple IIe and then the uh, Intel 186, first of their uh, 86 lineage machines. And uh, word processing came along, which was great for me because I'm a horrible speller and my handwriting was awful. <laughs> so uh, I'm pretty excited about technology and what it's doing for us as a culture. I do think that getting together in person is still really important uh, because we are human beings uh, in animal flesh and uh, there's a lot of value to connecting and one-on-one. Uh, -on -one. What virtual reality will do as uh, the sense of connection becomes more and more real in the cybersphere we don't really know yet so stay tuned uh thank you for listening and if you'd like to listen to the full dialogue and it's posted right here uh -huh. uh, uh, i went to study physics because someone in the brain department, cognitive department told me that's the best background. Go have, go have a strong mathematical physics background. Mm -hmm. um, I hated university, quit, went <laughs> on to do like a bunch of other stuff. And all this time I've always been doing movement, martial arts, dance, um, and sort of forgot about this whole neuroscience thing. And then suddenly it like came back at some point in life. I was talking to friends who were doing already their like PhD in this. And I was like, I wanted to do this. So I went back to school um, and did a master program where I was researching uh, basically 
I had a lot of freedom, which was great. Um, so I started with like psychedelics because uh, I think that's a really, really powerful tool to hack brains and it's going back into mainstream research right now, which is amazing. Um, but then I realized that it's still very hard to actually administer psychedelics in, in the research um, you know, program. It takes many years to get approval and I just had like one year to do my master's thesis. Uh, so I pivoted to VR because um, I experienced VR beforehand and uh, despite the fact that I, at the beginning, as a very embodied person, I thought like, oh, this can't be, I mean, I'm just affecting my eyes, so how strong can it be? But when I experienced, uh, you know, the new type of um, VR that's out there, um, I really felt the effect and I was very fascinated, what's going on, how come, how is this so real? So I started, um, just uh, created this small uh, a lab within my uh, motor control department, and I was doing two things, one was playing, and the other was sort of the theory behind it. And and eventually I got to this point where I really feel I understand the technology um, in a deep way and how it affects our brains and how we can use it to hack this system. Um, and and once university was over, I really realized this is when I, what I want to keep doing, just, just developing these little ideas and mm. see, see how that affects, first of all, me, Right then, then others too. If this can be useful for them as well. So you're using yourself as your own lab. Guinea pig. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> and you, you were doing this stuff, and you're like, oh, Matt's interested in this too. You guys, you guys just met up at this yeah, co-working space. And... He showed me some of his projects, and I was like, whoa, they, they were amazing and very in line in the way sort of I work. Awesome. Yeah. And I just told him like, yeah, want to join forces and, and let's start doing stuff. So what, what would you, what do you say you're like, uh, how do you guys complement each other? Like, what are, like, what's one thing, Matt, that you're really good at? Um, and what's one thing that you really don't like where you might compliment, uh, where you might compliment Sarah? I would say I, I really like making art. So like I, um, I'm pretty good at like making like 3D assets and like design and like creating environments and so I've been doing that since I was a kid um, Just as like at first just as a mechanism to get through school and then like kind of as a passion mm. um, and then I think the thing that Sarah really helps me with is like a lot of times In VR like it's so new that we don't have all these metaphors to like springboard off of so we have to take other subjects and then spring back board off of those. So like mm. oftentimes Sarah will be talking about a study she's been, re uh, she researched or like something uh, in terms of neuroscience. Yeah. And then, then I can bring that, those visual aspects and like, oh, okay, so this is the idea. Let's bring it into this space in this way. Cool. So the artistic uh, component would you say would be your strong suit? And then yeah. what would say, what's like something you don't particularly enjoy that um. Sarah like, or is something maybe that you're learning that maybe it's an asset, a skill yeah. asset that you're you're acquiring and she's helping you learn? Yeah, um, I'd say like, I would say like, I mean, a, a lot of it is, it comes from like her expertise in neuroscience, I would say. We're both coders. I, I mean, something that I, like I like coding, I'm pretty decent at coding. I don't necessarily say like, it's my joy. It's not something that I like really enjoy doing. It's more like, okay, I can make cool art things with these, like telling the machine to do things with instructions. Not something that like, I, like I, I love, but it, it helps being able to like, especially work with Sarah, um, to debug those problems. A lot of times I get stuck mm. in my head and I'm going down the rabbit hole and Sarah can give me a new perspective. Um, cause she has lots of perspectives, especially coming from, yeah. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. And uh Sarah, I'd like to ask you the same question. What would you say like are you passionate about and that you feel like your is a strong suit of yours and then other things where you feel like Matt really compliments you and helps you learn? Um, let's let's start with the second part because that's really easy. I I totally agree with what is he says. He's great at making things beautiful. That's not my strong suit. And he's also very friendly and very energetic. We do a lot of demos. When I have to demo without him, it's so much harder. There's uh, like so much more bubbly and fun energy. It's great. I feel the same. Um, and um, so these are things that he definitely brings to the table. Or so we just mindstorm, brainstorm, and do lots of stuff. And 
Yeah, definitely. Again, I have a, a, a strong mathematical framework sort of of what this technology does for brains and which allows me to come up with ideas that I think are, are sort of unique because he's like super creative and then I'll come up with a twist, a pivot, yeah. a little bit of this idea of how it can actually be very useful to you. Yeah. Um, and how we can can use the, the like the environment that he builds or the experience for, to also do something for brains. So that's yeah. really cool. The the shared artistry really it's like collaborative art. Yeah, and absolutely. Yeah, uh, like just saying like you you having a physics background like that has really been helping, especially in terms of, like VR and like game mm -hmm. engines and like mm -hmm. figuring that stuff out stuff out. You having that intuition really really brings a lot to the table. And you said play earlier, like like doing demos and being playful. And you and you also yeah. mentioned Sarah play like in. Um, I think you said you play and then you were doing the theory earlier you commented on on yeah, that and yeah. you know from a neuroplasticity framework yeah. of understanding like what a better way to learn than to play exactly. like I totally agree it's the best way to learn <laughs> definitely the best way for the brain to learn where we are really hardwired to enjoy um getting new information if it's through play right yeah. if there isn't a total uh, end to it once there's a very certain um, goal for learning, then that's not play anymore. Uh, that's mm -hmm. work. <laughs> and your brain really just activates different different uh, types of different parts and stuff. So, so yeah. I'm curious, what, what would you say, like, like it seems like there's a place for both in, in like, living a so-called balanced life if there is a, such a, a thing. Um, like, like, I find in my own life, like, there's a time for me to be like really structured and disciplined and like I'm going to finish this uh, thing and then there's a time for me to be like uh, yeah I'm just gonna play at it now like I've got the foundation like with martial arts in particular like I find repetition to be really helpful and sometimes my yeah. mood will be all over the place and I'll still be like okay we're still gonna do this <laughs> still invent a game to do this. This is how at least I've sort of learned to, ha to hack my own brain. Even if it's just to finish something or if I have deadlines, to look at it as a game yeah. and not to, to, to keep the freedom of how I do it. Mm. Let's say I have to finish this project, but mm. if I sort of structure it too much, then I, I, the lower levels of the brain lose their freedom and become enslaved. Yeah. And they don't like that. Yeah. <laughs> you, should, you should keep these modules as sort of free as possible. When you say the lower levels of the brain, uh, what, are you, what are you speaking to? So there's a lot of agency in your brain. You have 86 billion neurons structured in a very complex network. But there is a hierarchy there. There's a very, um, you know, you can sort of look at it um, as a metaphor as a type of pyramid um, with these frontal cortex parts being the higher abstract uh, parts of our brain. Uh, and there's just separate models that are very good at whatever they do. If it's, you know, martial arts, so it's the part of predicting body movement and projecting uh, um, um, your own movement into space. If it's programming, there's these modules that just know how to program, right? And if this higher level part of yourself takes too much power and is a strong supervisor mm. it actually you will do worse i think mm. i think any mover knows this right when we're in movement and mm. martial arts you have to let go we call it letting go <laughs> what does this letting go mean it just means not activating this frontal cortex and there's a lot of super interesting research on how actually um you know they can electrocute a part of your frontal cortex and sort of shut it down <laughs> With, um, it's like a temporary stuff. frontal lobotomy. Show they show that this induces flow states. Yeah. So there's also other ways. You don't have to go to such extremes. You can <laughs> practice them. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, we're both into. All three of us are into dance. Uh, yeah. And I, I actually found through my own my own path of uh, well, actually of healing, um, that that dance and was really really healthy for me. And I. For a long time, I couldn't figure it out, and then I eventually started studying neuroplasticity and sort of the language of our of our current science paradigm and in our culture, and was like, okay, let's see, I'm in a state of play, I'm moving my body, I'm interfacing with others, like it combined so many things that were that were healthy. Yeah. 
Yeah. And in many ways, I think um, the fact that you get to move your body freely and be in different states, topologically mm. speaking, yeah, uh, that's very powerful for the brain because this is part of, again, we are embodied creatures. This is part of any experience that we have. Our body is part of it. So the fact that your body can now be in many different states, it's not just, you know, one, two, three, or however many states uh, you do when you're not dancing, really uh, allows for this extra freedom of your brain mm. and, and a different processing of information. Yeah, it, it really is helpful. I mean, our, I mean, one of our big goals is to bring play through this medium and uh, play play is a really big part of our workflow like a lot of sometimes we'll talk to people and they ask like oh what's your workflow like like what's your pre-design process and then like your your like design scaffolding and then like your you're like iterative and we're like oh like so we think of an idea and then we program some and then sometimes we go to the park and dance and then we come back. <laughs> and like you know so it's very much like within our, our goals but also just intertwined to how we work together and I think one of the reasons we work so well together. Yeah, that's awesome. The that sounds like a beautiful like life uh, a life philosophy. Like the the play, learn through learn through play. And um, I don't I don't know about you guys personally, but I've had a uh, one of my challenges has been like the like um, you know, drill sergeant versus the like kindergarten playground advisor you know like the inside those voices and yeah. that yeah. i have a drill sergeant you know inside me and yeah. uh and i'm training to listen to the kindergarten playground advisor yeah. a little Sometimes more we do that because yeah. we've had most of our teachers have been more drill sergeants than mm. yeah. kinder even my kindergarten teachers <laughs> you know, yeah. it's so true um, mm. like i was talking about before like i think one of the reasons that like I built up the skill set that I have that brought me here, you know, us together. It was, you know, when I was younger, I went to a school where the homework was very minimal. You know, the, the drill sergeant, you know, structure was not really very, it wasn't that kind of educational space. So I was given like just a lot of free time and I filled that time, I guess in retrospect now with play. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, and I think that's something that the, the play and the drill sergeant can take over, you know, for a lot of people, but it, we can bring it back, you know, yeah, to certain practices and, uh, yeah. Well, human beings are like, we're really kind of complex animals and this whole human consciousness thing is pretty interesting. Uh, what would you say is your motivation? Uh, not doesn't have to be like a, a singular thing, but what's like, what drives you guys to get up and collaborate and, you know, is it, well, I had all these experiences in life and I want to help people um, reduce their pain or I want to do things that I really enjoy and this is something that I really enjoy. It doesn't have to be an or, it could be an and. Uh, or, and what, what else, like for example, would you say? I think that my system is maybe a bit, wired let, let's say it's somewhere on the gaussian but a little bit on the edges um i feel there's just memes inside of me i'm a, this is a meme machine and these memes want to reproduce it's not something there's a creative idea out there and it just wants to burst out it's, it's i have to inhibit it from not doing that you know if so it's more these memes just wanting to be out there for their own reproduction and using the rest of the system to get this done. This is mostly my experience with, with why the, I actually do things. The rest of the system being like your animated self and interaction with yeah, others? Yeah, there's a, you know, some idea pops into this meme is created and it wants to see itself out there. Now, how does it actually do it? Well, to program, you have to sometimes build art, sometimes cooperate. Um, but I, I feel this is this again. This ego self is very fragile, and we tell ourselves stories. Oh, this feels good. Oh, this is. But in a in a very abstract way, it's actually the memes that are driving us, and we're we're here for the ride. Huh? <laughs> I love that. I love that. Yeah. And you, Matt? Yeah. Um, I would say, uh, like I said before, a lot of my motivation. I mean, partially, partially is at, at my core, and I'm, I'm an artist, and this is the medium that, like, I don't feel like there's a 
choice other than just to keep making. So like that's one aspect on just like a almost mechanical level, like need to make more in this medium. And another part of it is like I was talking about before with my experiences in school and how I was able to access um, access knowledge and access things through through media, through new mediums. Um, and I truly think VR can really help people, especially like younger me or me now, to access those things, you know? Um, VR is so powerful and can really like affect our brains and allow us to see these really beautiful things and access this information in like cognitively in ways that like we actually haven't been able to do like ever in human history. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's powerful and I really think that it can help people, you know? People shouldn't fall through the cracks and I think this technology can help them that. <laughs> I, I really like everything you said and something stood out for me um, as I'm closing my eyes speaking to you. I, we're, we're such, we evolved with such strong um, visual uh, capacities as humans. And, and then when I think about the evolution of, of, of writing, of art, of communication via the written word uh, and symbols and back to, you know, the caves in France and, the earliest documented writing for accounting in, in Sumer, you know, like they're all pretty recent evolutionarily. They're pretty recent um, adaptations for the human animal. And, and when I think about like maybe uh, a less, um, I hate to use the word less, but maybe a, an animal that evolved differently uh, consciously without uh, as many um, without as such a large forebrain basically to to process symbols and abstract thought like their primary understanding of the world is through senses and the immediacy of the the moment and and so taking somebody into a, a VR environment a virtual reality environment in a way it re-stimulates to me those the sensorial experience of of being an animal uh, which can potentially undo some of the challenging mental uh, aberrations that happen when we um, get when I get to uh, you know to freaked out about the future and on fear and, and whatever else might be coming my organs start to tense up etc what do you guys have any thoughts on that hypothesis yeah I totally agree it's um Again, VR, you can do anything. I can put you in a VR thing that has a bunch of words and abstract, uh, you know, language stuff. But VR does have the capacity to create environments and interactions in a more primal way. Um, and you can induce novelty by just changing the, the even laws of physics or the feedback that you're getting from your body a little bit that will induce, again, this novel state, turn you more into a childlike state um, in the moment. Um, remodeling whatever is going on in your environment right now mm. definitely mm. Uh, getting back to like like the programming of the human being uh and the human consciousness one of the questions i've asked a, a couple other uh people has been like okay so actually i asked uh robin from from sound self i said so what about the morality of developing this technology and you know let's assume there's several different futuristic paradigms that could exist one is like there's an evil empire that everyone is hooked up to in the vr space and then they get people into into these states of high programmable suggestible situations and they program evil uh into their their minds and then there's also this like capacity for health and healing and reducing of suffering for people who have experienced a lot of that uh in their lives and are locked into these certain programs of of self-doubt and and judgment and fear and etc that cause a lot of damage so what do you guys have any perspectives on the morality of developing the technology and or um any kind of ideas of of possible scenarios that could play out in the future well i've been getting a lot into nonviolent communication stuff um if you've ever um, yeah super familiar with it yeah so, and just for myself, trying to even not use, right, these abstract concepts really affect how we behave and how we think. So even not using things like good and evil, but just looking at it as needs 
right? There's biological beings out there, they have needs. And once they understand their needs, once they understand their self-organism better and what actually fulfills them, I think we're going to be on a much better track. Right now, these self-organisms are hungry for stuff that they're not even really aware of and acting in this very automatic way to try to get safety or human connection or, you know, uh, security um, and just doing it in sometimes really wrong ways by trying, or like, wrong and <laughs> control other human beings, yeah. right? They're trying to get safety by, like you say, programming others, uh-huh. by um, building this capitalistic system. Um, so, I mean, if self-research, which VR can definitely help with, will help people understand how they are built and what their needs are, um, I don't know. That's my optimistic thing, yeah. right? That's can, can we get people to use this technology for self-exploration uh, before the big markets come yeah. in and and take over? Yeah, mm. it, a lot of that is like we, you know, to give. That's why we try to rapid prototype like a couple demos a week and really put as much yeah. out there to help people use this as a mirror rather than like being allowing it allowing oneself to be manipulated, which will be a part of VR, like, absolutely. That's also part of what we we try to consider ourselves also an education um, collective, because we want people to understand this technology is powerful. If you put yourself in a zombie experience and a horror experience, if you put yourself, you know, in the body of a serial killer, it's not the same as just video games, right? That has some effect, but so much, much stronger. So we... Everybody, and this is, these are choices that people have to make for themselves and, and introspect and see how that affects them. Um, but just to understand the power of this technology and how it, how it works and how it affects the brain is, is pretty important. And can, yeah. you, can you explain just briefly the, the neurological underpinnings of why the more senses we use uh, for an experience has a greater programmatic impact? if you will, on the brain and on, on the being. Yeah, you're just, you, so first of all, there's, there's, your brain creates a model of reality, right? It's, and it's never connected to what really is out there. It's always guessing. It comes out with some guess and then looks at the information that's coming through and is like, well, is this guess a good guess? And then we stay with it. Or is this a not good enough guess? And then we have to remodel. Um, and with VR, because, um, Again, depends on the experience, but there is a possibility that your brain will totally receive this as reality, um, in which case it will be just like any other real experience. It's not a game anymore. It is something that you are doing. You are becoming that serial killer, not as a game, but really your body is embodying that pattern of thought, that way of being. Um, and taking that out there back into the real world is very close. Right, because this isn't a two-dimensional screen anymore. It is the way you act, the way you move. So it's the same body patterns, mm. um, and that's that's what we are. We are just these these patterns of activity. So the more senses you get in there, the more activated in the same way um, you're going to be doing that in the outside world too. That totally makes sense to me. The more we actually embody the the character or the attributes, the the more they resonate with yeah. us. And there's there's places for that. You know, there's method actors, there's mm-hmm. there's safe places that you can bring because we do have violence in the human being. It's it's so it's okay to be there. You just have to really think about how to do it in a in a safe way in a in a way that is still uh, healthy. And there's yeah, and a lot of research has to be done into how that's that's possible. The Jungian shadow side of self, yeah. and mm-hmm. uh, interesting. Matt, what do you think the future of of this application is in in like um, like can you can you have do you have a vision of like a healthcare environment? So part of my my mission, my personal mission, is to help bring these technologies into like. Um, more of like mainstream technology and mainstream applications and so maybe it's a question for both of you but I'm gonna ask you Matt what do you see as like the future of healthcare and virtual reality hmm. well 
I think that VR, I guess one thing that like I've experienced um, within the healthcare system is like pain. So pain is something that I'm really interested in personally because um, when I was in high school, my dad got cancer and he got cancer in his spine, which was like the worst kind of pain. So there's some kind of, when the body, when the body breaks down, there's no way out but to sit with it. Um, but there's some things that can help. Like, uh, you know, he after he took all his pills and he couldn't take any more without the risk of like dying, and I was like, what else can I do? I can sit here and I can breathe with you. And sometimes we would do little tricks. Like I would like feed him ice cream and he was in so much pain. He couldn't even talk, but he'd eat the ice cream. And that would bring his mind off of the pain a little bit, which is a distraction method that's used in one aspect of pain management in VR. But I think there's a lot of research that can be done, um, especially in that respect, to really help people that are at the end of what can be done like what can what can be done in terms of like traditional medical practices i really think that like the the mind state can be hacked a lot especially with vr um and i guess that that's what excites me personally because i've, I've encountered just like the perfect nature of you know when your body gets to that point you know there's no way out but maybe maybe there is through this new medium um yeah mm, that's beautiful Thank you for sharing that very personal story, um, which feels really true to me too. Yeah. How about how about you, Sarah? Future of healthcare. It feels really tough. I love working with Matt. Yeah, sweetheart, like beautiful heart. Yeah, I really yeah. like he's he's so much younger than me, but he's in some ways so much wiser too, um, which is amazing. Um, so there's a lot, listen, I'm also a very practical person and, and there's a lot of economical benefit with VR presence even, you know, you can, um, there, I was talking to someone just like, you can use sort of AR, uh, your cell phone to scan a broken bone that you need a cast for and it will be sent, you'll just see your doctor through VR and they'll just 3D print it to you and, you know, everything can be much cheaper and faster and because doctor's time is, is super expensive. Um, there's, so I, there's a lot of places for a lot of, uh, um, um, efficiency improvement through this technology, the moment it gets more stable right now, we're in the point where still the hardware and software is, is still very flaky and, um, you need, you need it to be a bit more stable. Um, and yeah, there's definitely so much you can do to hack things like pain too. Um, and other, other um, symptoms that are also sort of a, a behavioral or psychological depression. Lots and lots of really interesting research on that is um, coming out. And uh, yeah, we just need to, to push it forward because it's hard to go from early adapters to actually having it in the field. There's a lot, it takes a lot of time sometimes. Mm. What would you say? What what are your thoughts on like the biggest stumbling blocks to getting it from early adopters to uh, something that is in brain the plasticity? Doctors go through medical school seven years. They come out. They know they have their method. Now you're going to insert a whole new technology into there. So it has to start already from the universities, from the research. And I'm sure you know that the grad students that are working on these things will continue it. But mm. it just takes sometimes. It takes a generation to bring in really new technology. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you'd say starting at the academic level is a good way to to insert uh, the seed for for change yeah. in the yeah. system. Yeah. 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 Or starting young, as young yeah. as I heard that again, even kids that grow up with this, this will just be their door. <laughs> Right. Even computers getting that yeah. into the health system. Mm -hmm. I mean, I still have sometimes I go to doctors that are older, and you know they have to like type in yeah. your your information, and it's just <laughs> so yeah. Time actually, to, to be with you and diagnose you. Since this so, is an audio podcast, I just want to explain to listeners you were like finger pecking on on yeah. Skype <laughs> with the two yeah, fingers typing. How doctors type yeah. with two fingers. Uh, it's awesome. Yes, yeah. it's awesome. Yeah, uh, so giving people, like uh, like you're saying, like even from young, like giving people the tools and then letting them play. I think that's something big. Like Sarah was saying, kids that grew up with this, they're going to have different brains, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, for instance, when I was young and I worked with 3D models, like I know for the fact that, like, 
changed my brain's perception of space slightly. And that was only in a 2D medium. Like what is gonna happen when these kids grow up with it? And if we give them the space to play with it, to experiment, to really like dig in and like understand it through that play, I think that, you know, when they grow grow up, they will they will innovate on a level that like I cannot imagine. Yeah. And let's put our future goggles on and be like, okay, so what what does the future look like in two years, in five years from a like a technology perspective? Where will this technology be? How widespread will it be in the consumer uh, environment, in the healthcare environment? And what are some of like the applications you guys see as being the first earliest adopters, obviously gaming is kind of driving a lot of the technology. Um, what, are, what are some of the other applications, maybe industrial, yeah. uh, economic, uh, other, other economic industries you see this will be like impacting and what, if you can like paint a picture for me of, of a scenario that you see, cause I can, I got like a million, like immediately, yeah. you know, how it's going to impact healthcare and planning and, and architecture. Porn. Yeah, there. <laughs> porn, porn. It's going to be a very big impact I'm pretty sure. Well, porn um, has always been the earliest adopter of any new medium. Yeah. Any, so any new medium, they're the, yeah. they're the earliest yeah. adopters, yeah. Um, and that's that's going to be a thing for sure. Um, I think we're, we're – and also I think there's very, very strong benefits for anybody that does anything work like AutoCAD or video editing – or anything that requires right now software tools that are very hard to do in 2D and require you know a lot of time and mouse movements and um, so much easier. I've been showing this you know a lot to engineers and and architects and city planners and anybody I put into VR it suddenly go like oh wow if I could just work in this environment you know if I could plan a city just in VR if I could um, plan my my new um, a hardware tool that I'm building just this way instead of like in, in 2D then doing an iteration and coming back. Um, so definitely an amazing tool for anybody in designing anything. Um, as well as also like video editing um, and things like that. Um, yeah, this is, this is, I'm sort of waiting for the tech to combine. You need to have your hands in there. Yeah. So this, since Oculus is coming out with this new set that's not going to have anything really. It's like the Samsung Gear just without a phone. I'm not very optimistic about that. I don't think this is going to get people, uh, bring enough usability. Because, yeah, being a nice floaty head that can go like this and move around, okay. Uh, but you really need your hands for it to be useful. So like um, the leap the leap motion guys. And yeah, I'm very excited. I heard they're starting to put their camera in headsets directly. Mm -hmm. um, so that's, that's very exciting. If you can combine that. And uh, just one headset with some hands, that's pretty good. You can start building whatever you want. Like if you just have mm. this space around you, you don't need much. And right? when I, having room scale is amazing, but you don't really need room scale for most applications. When you say room scale, what do you mean? So having the scale of the room be identical to exactly. your environment? Like yeah. 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 So you can. It's turning your head versus walking around and turning your head. Yeah, uh, so every step that you take is actually measured in, in the virtual yeah. world as a step. Uh -huh. We don't really need that. We just need like this, the scalability of having, uh -huh. being able to move things easily. Mm -hmm. um, so your kind of proprioception is, is matched with the exactly. actual scale. Um, yeah. get, getting, I could go off on any tangent from that little, yeah. that little arm of conversation. Um, yeah. I, I want to get back to like, what are some of the like, can you paint me a picture of like another user, Matt, for example, like, can you paint me a picture of a user in any other industry? It could be healthcare and like some subset of healthcare. It could be, uh, I mean, music, it could be, uh, movies. It could be, I don't know, construction I think, or I think education is also going to be probably the next impacted industry. Um, maybe starting, it's already starting in medical schools, like at every good university medical school is, is having a VR room. Like VR cadavers and... Yep, yep, exactly. VR, um, um, what do you call it when you cut people open and stuff? Uh, surgery. <laughs> but, uh, surgery, yeah, uh, yeah, VR surgery practices. Wow, amazing. But yeah. also uh, educating uh, your workers, it's starting to get into the workforce, so 
if you have a, like a, some type of dangerous work or flight simulators have been around forever right. in the right. armies, you know, but it's going to get into that because it's cheaper. It's cheaper yeah. to actually do a VR simulation of a lot of these things than getting a real cadaver or oh, um, for getting sure. a, real, a real car that you have to practice driving or things like that. Yeah. So um, education is probably going to be very Im impacted. And it also can, like, combining this with some uh, AI, you're just going to have these, like, private tutors that are catered to you, your speed, um, and, and that's... Yeah, as long as you manage the social aspects of that, I think it can be amazing. This you have to balance it with still maintaining some type of human connection. How Otherwise, important? How important do you think um, that that's really that's a really interesting question? Is mm -hmm. the the merging of human connection versus programmatic interface, or and programmatic interface and the balance there in traditional um, traditional industries? I'm also curious about the interface of of biometrics and um, biometric feedback, any kind of, you know, for example, brain brainwave states or um, um, all, a lot of these, these sensors that are able to, to interface with the, the program in ways that um, could potentially be beneficial. Yeah. What are your thoughts on, on those peripheral inter inter interfaces? Uh, I don't believe in, com in commercial EEG headsets. I come from a neuroscience background. I did EEG experiments. There, there's, it's very noisy. They can be good in some very specific uh, design experiments um, that you don't move in, first of all. The moment you're moving and getting all this noise, you're basically picking up muscles. Um, and right now, maybe in the future, you know, technology can get uh, so advanced that we can um, online filter it, but I have not yet seen, I have not yet been convinced that any consumer EEG set is more than a piece of, of um, noise that's trying to be like, cool. Um, but things like definitely heart rate, blood pressure, uh, skin uh, conduction uh, are all very real and very interesting to, to see how you can combine it, specifically with like meditative apps or sports apps, um, just getting uh, feedback. Yeah, and then I think like, a lot of the tools are very like blunt, like you're saying right now. It's really hard to get like an accurate read. Um, I'd be interested, like, like you're saying, in in the aggregation of the data. So like many many points of data being fed into like smarter algorithms. I think that can like lead to some interesting results. Unfortunately, like you said, that is not as of now the the algorithms that like filter and sort that data can't like give us like filter out the exact data that we need to be like really specifically useful in like a lot of cases, but I'm excited. Like I feel like technology as it progresses, like that will be a thing. Like the biometrics, biofeedback, I think hopefully will will be very useful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and in the consumer, we're, sounds like we're kind of focused on the consumer uh, markets there and then kind of Ease of use is a real plays into a big uh, plays into it quite a bit. In clinical settings, there's a little more control. Uh, like you could potentially get somebody to stay still and have a better EEG um, experience. And um, I, I think the mass adoption. So, a little background on me. Like I, I um, started out building websites after college and was like, oh, this is cool. I want to build companies and help people get online because that was kind of a thing. I'm 39. That was like still a challenge for a lot of businesses. Still is for some. Uh, and then um, and then my friend uh, from college was building um, different apps. The iPhone had just come out. And I remember I had a Palm Trio. I don't know if you guys are old enough to know yeah. what that was. But um, He's too young. And I was like... And I was like, wow, this thing is like, I remember when Apple had a Newton, it was like the pre-iPhone that flopped. And uh, I was like, wow, that's kind of where this whole thing's going. And I could see that buttons are gonna disappear and the UI is just gonna be a screen. Um, so we invented uh, one of the first payment apps uh, for the iPhone, for the first iPhone and became wildly successful. And um, that was uh, amazing to see like, oh, this, see the different generations of this hardware evolve from like the pre-laptop era to like a Newton, which was the first 
tablet effectively to like then this iPhone came came out, which is a computer in your pocket, you know. Um, and I and I re- kind of see a similar trajectory for VR, like in in potentially an accelerated hardware um, um, timeline where we're kind of I feel like in between the the early tablet and the palm trio stage with the the hardware of of vr and it feels like as soon as the the equivalent of the 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 iphone first gen comes out uh where it's fully portable and and the all of the appropriate i think that's that's sort of the key point is ar Um, augmented reality yeah yeah i think these these two technologies will merge I don't know. I'm going to say seven years from now. Seven years is your target. Okay, cool. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'll start a pool. I'll start a, I'll start a betting pool. That's, that's when it will be an iPhone because you will just be with this on, off, whatever, but when it's on you and then whatever you want, how much of your world is actually the real world versus how much is virtual and, and things that you want to augment your environment with mm-hmm. that's totally up to you after up to where you're in what you're doing um but that's that's when it becomes just a thing that you will want to have on you at all times and not just right uh, app for this a game for that yeah it'll just be part of our life like this so like the like the phone it's like could you could you leave could you go out of your house without your vr interface no, i think it's i think no i think it will replace it will replace maybe it will take more than seven years for that like you know uh-huh. So it'll be like I can't leave home without my glasses. If you have no, you can't. You won't know anything. This will be how you navigate. This will be, you know, you'll you'll just you'll be in a much cooler way than than maps. You'll see little lines on the road of how to go. So we'll you're on your bike. It'll just be like, oh, okay, this way, that way. So it's imported on on reality. So another another. I meet you. I see a little pad with his name, and you know when I met him last, and. And just everything. And there are a lot of there are a lot of movies that already like <clears throat> that already predict that future in this the sci-fi world and um, along the lines of the like what's gonna get what's this gonna look like like I think of people who have nearsighted or farsighted challenges and they're like oh I have to wear my contacts or I have to put my glasses in or I have to have my glasses on um, and then Lasix comes around and it's like, no, we'll just, you know, zap you with a laser. Like, so is like our first stage going to be, we're going to have glasses for like, I don't know, a hundred years. Then we're going to have contacts for 30 and then we're just going to implant chips and Probably. like, is that where it's going? <laughs> and we'll just plug into our visual cortex, you know, we're slowly augmenting ourselves. Like some would argue we're cyborgs and this makes us superhuman and to some regards. And I think. That's an interesting point that you bring up, like, people augment themselves out of ne- medical necessity, and then people see how much, like, oh my gosh, like, that, you can use it more than that. You know, the first mm-hmm. users are people that are like, I need it, like, to see. And then people are like, oh, wait, like, if I have this thing, it gives me, like, a lot of advantage. Then it starts to build up, you know? Huh. Yeah. Yeah, I love it how technology developed. We're like, humans are these incredible animals where we're like, oh, here's something in this scenario and it works well for this scenario. And then like, I'm going to play and like, oh, what if it, what if I take this stick that I used to like poke open the coconut and I bring it over here and like, I draw a line in the sand. Wow. Like, yeah, there's all kinds of applications. Interesting about humans um, is how much we influence our environment. Mm. We're the most, this is, there's a feedback loop that's created not just with ourselves and, and trying to predict ourselves. We try to predict our environment. And part of how we do that is actually manipulating our environment and making it more predictable. Um, and then and that line, I think this is fits VR and augmented reality just fit in perfectly because every person will be able to control their environment in a very, very large degree. Um, and I guess the challenge for humanity will be to step away from that overly controlled bubble, which you might be able to put yourself in, you know. No. I don't know, let's say I have a friend who loves rainbows. She could just go around all day in this rainbow world, and that's it. That's what she will experience. That that will be her sense of reality. And, and we have to find ways for people to still connect to each other's realities and also to sort of 
see maybe the, the, the harder side of life because it's going to become very easy. I mean, I work down the streets of San Francisco and it's, there's so much, uh, you know, social problems here. Um, but I can envision a, a time where I see them as flowers. You know, there's nothing. You just erase anything you don't want to see with something else. Mm. Um, mm. And that's, that's going to be a challenge for humanity, I believe, in some type of future. Yeah. Mm. Interesting. Wow. Um, I want to keep talking. I could, I could have a conversation with you guys all day long. Um, I want to wrap it up in the next five minutes by asking you, what are some of your favorite books that you guys like? Topics, books, even it can be in fiction, nonfiction. What do you do? And if it's not books, like what do you do to enter into a state of, of curiosity and relaxation beyond your, your work here? Hmm. Oh man, let's see. So, so things that like practices or books or like sure. I'm curious. Like, like, like other people, I find that a lot of technologists enjoy science fiction and fantasy um, for for like a relaxation. Even if they don't read as much of it these days, they have in the past. Um, just as a suggestion, I really enjoy. I have enjoyed like self help books. I have enjoyed like uh like martial arts and um those and i also enjoy fantasy and science fiction so what are some of the if you were to go into a bookstore and you had to pick a book section or two to go and like explore what would they be for me for sure comics <laughs> i yeah uh, i love comic books um it's a great medium like what uh, marvel are we talking like more indie uh, every, uh, I, I used to have a comic book, um, like, we, I was um, in Israel, living in Israel, me and my dad were the first people to import comic books to Israel, basically. Amazing. Huh. <laughs> like, what was that, I don't know, 1998 or something. Um, so everything, really. I mean, of course, there's a lot of, there's every, every good genre in comics has, has um, good, or comics I enjoy and comics that I enjoy less but there's really amazing things are some of the superheroes I know I don't know Astro City if you've heard of it uh-huh some Watchmen um and then there's there's political comics um anime like manga um fantasy sci-fi yeah so definitely comic books awesome <laughs> um I would say like um yeah it's interesting you bring up books I uh when I it's it's funny like when I I, I couldn't read until I was like, or I couldn't read very well until I was like 11. And then I like devoured books and like, it really, like, I would say like fantasy um, is something that really would take me away. I really like things with magic when I was young, my nerdy self, like brought this like correlation between like magic, being able to like throw instructions into the universe and like change your environment and i had this like weird geeky parallel when i started learning to program and i was like oh whoa you're throwing instructions into the machine and yeah, yeah. and so like i think when i was young and especially now like i like fantasy and things that like have to do with magic and like me the mechanics of magic um i've been reading the king killer chronicles or i that was one of my recent favorites it's like this book that has magic in it but in a very like the magic comes from the mechanics of the universe kind of thing. And that, that, I don't know, something about it really gets, gets to me. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. I, I love fantasy books and I found them to be like actually really healing for me to get into that state of, of like just imagination, just cause it's such yeah. a beautiful place. And if we are aware, like we can, we can take ourselves on our own rides. Uh, Absolutely. It's the, it's the first virtual reality. Yeah. I wrote a sci-fi book. You did? What? I'm going to read it. Oh my gosh, I didn't know that. Yeah, years ago. Oh my gosh. Zero Point Energy. Did you, did you publish yeah. it? What's it called? Zero Point Energy? It's Zero Point Energy. It's out there. Yeah, there's a website. It's out on like these, uh, what are they called? All these um, <laughs> online stuff. I, I no think idea. it's on like, Amazon down the hole. Maybe. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to buy, buy it from Amazon. It's a... Uh, Whatever. It's it's a po political and based on sort of quantum me quantum mechanics teleportation stuff. Heck yes. I don't know if I if I totally agree with the whole philosophy that's in there now. This is a decade ago, but. Did you write it or did a meme write it? 
What? Did you write it or did a meme write it? But it was totally me. It's totally memes. Just like <laughs> you start and things just come out. And then I read it and I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah. The editing process is probably more, yes, a high level me, right? Because you reread and re-edit sometimes and make it like, um, oh, this is a bit of a mess. So you're like the producer editor of yeah. the memes. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but could it be a meme that's actually the producer editor of other memes? Yeah, uh, there's endless loops. Uh -huh. we, can, we can just <laughs> meta memer. Uh -huh. yeah. Oh, that's a good one. Um,